Hey, George Crabb again, and uh, we are in scene three of Psalm 22. So we talked about the Tola Shanai, this, uh, this crimson worm spoken in Psalm 22, verse 6. And why would the psalmist who was actually prophesying about Jesus say, I am a worm and no man, a reproach among the people. So, so it's, a, it's an I am statement. And we remember that Jesus had I am statements such as I am the way, the truth, and the life. I am the bread of life. I am the resurrection. I am the good shepherd. We remember all these things. Well, I'm going to go back to I am the bread of life also. And in, in the book that we were, we've already been in my book a little bit, Tola Shanai, um, this is also available on Amazon and, and Barnes and & Noble and Apple iBooks. Uh, but anyway, this book, in chapter 3, I want to read a little bit uh, from, from my book. Uh, and it's titled The Grain in chapter 3. All right, here we go. So Jesus said, The hour has come that the Son of Man should be glorified. Most assuredly, I say to you, Unless a grain of wheat falls into the ground and dies, it remains alone. But if it dies, it produces much grain. He who loves his life will lose it, and he who hates his life in this world will keep it for eternal life. If anyone serves me, let him follow me, and where I am, there my servant will will be also. If anyone serves me, him my father will honor. Now my soul is troubled, and what shall I say? Father, save me from this hour, but for this purpose I came to this hour. Father, glorify your name. Then a voice from heaven saying, I have both glorified it and will glorify it again. And that's recorded in John chapter 12. So look at the words of Jesus again. Quote, Most assuredly, I say to you, unless a grain of wheat falls into the ground and dies, it remains alone. But if it dies, it produces much grain. He also said, But for this purpose I came. So he said all of this referring to his death on the cross. And this proves to the world that it was not the Jewish people, not the Romans, the world, the nails, Satan, or his minions who put Jesus on the cross. No, it was Jesus himself and his father who put him on the cross. Why? Because he loves you. In me. It was God's great love for us to pay for our sins in full, once and for all. It was asaha in Hebrew, meaning paid in full, which is, by the way, the last word of Psalm 22. It was at that moment when the prophetic psalm was fulfilled and the greatest deed of love was birthed. Just as the Tola Shanai clung to the tree to give life to its young, so too Jesus clung himself to the cross 
to give life to you and me. Now we can be born again as a new creature, birthmarked by his scarlet blood, as one of his, as one of his sons or one of his daughters, a son of Tola or a son of Tola Shanai, so to speak. Then we become his grain. He is the Christ, the Messiah. We are little Christs, as we were named uh, mockingly, actually, in the first century, but then it stuck, and that's where we get the name Christians. And we are the body of Christ. He is the Tola Shanai, the Great. We are little Tolashanais, and we are sons and daughters of Tola, so to speak. In Europe, during the Middle Ages, the 5th and 15th centuries, the red dye for the exquisite silks came from the rich crimson and carmine red colors of the Tolashanai. They live on the sap of a certain certain trees, especially the Kermes oak tree, near the Mediterranean region, in countries like Turkey and in Israel. The English names for the red colors, such as crimson and carmine, are derived from the word Kermes. The Tolashanaya is also known as the Kermes worm. During the Middle Ages, the rich crimson scarlet-colored silks were dyed by using the Kermes dye. The silk-weaving centers of Italy and Sicily started using the Kermes dye, which exceeded the legendary Tyrian purple of that time in both status and desirability. This newfound dye stuff was called grain in all Western European languages, because the tiny eggs resembled fine grains of wheat, like sand. So these tiny pieces of grain from the Kermes worm, or the scarlet worm, were described as dyed in the grain. And remember, they, they resembled sand, or, or grains of wheat, so the Europeans called them grain. They also call them fruit, interestingly enough. And what's interesting about this is when we look at the book of Revelation, we see that John describes this great multitude of saints. And they were, there were so many of them, they were just innumerable, like the sands of the sea. thought that was a little bit interesting there. So what a great picture, right? I mean, what a... What an outstanding picture that Jesus gave us, especially when Jesus said, Most assuredly, I say to you, unless a grain of wheat falls into the ground and dies, it remains alone. But if it dies, it produces much grain. So this Tola Shanai is just such a huge picture of what Jesus did on the cross. So we who abide in Jesus are under his care, his shelter, and are his grain, his dye stuff, so to speak. We are also his harvest. One summer I was driving down a beautiful country road near my house. It was just one of those beautiful, warm, sunny summer afternoons. 
and the wind was, uh, the afternoon breeze was flowing. And I noticed the wheat field shimmering in the afternoon wind. It was fully grown and ready for harvest. So the heads of grain were actually bowed down and the entire grain field was shining like gold as it glimmered in the sun's light. So what a beautiful picture of God's people. So the Kermes Tola Shanai dye stuff was called grain in all of Europe because it resembled fine grain or sand. In that same way, the born-again followers of Jesus are his grain, and so the church is his grain field. Jesus said, I am the bread of life. The church is called the body of Christ. We are, in essence, his organic whole grain. Believers in Jesus are called his true church. We are not a denomination, organization, or a building. His church are simply his followers who are in him, representing his body marked by his blood. As I was typing this page in my home, it was an ice-cold, stormy, windy day here in the Pacific Northwest. And it's, it's just a reminder to me that though we go through these hard times, these winter times, even as believers, that golden sun-shining day is coming. And there's a glimpse of that here in Psalm 22 because it's called the dawning, the deer of the dawn. And Jesus spoke after that three hours of darkness, and he said, the first words of Psalm 22, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And we know why he was forsaken. It was because God turned his back as Jesus absorbed all of the sin and all of the wrath of God for all the sins committed, past and future, my sins, your sins, and he made a way for us. He paid for us so that we could live together with him in paradise. What a beautiful, beautiful thing. See. The tola, again, it dies, it climbs up this, this oak tree, typically, and attaches itself, sticks itself to this oak trunk or the branches of it. And it, it literally, it's giving birth to its young. It literally just, it, it explodes and it dies. And it just made me think of when Jesus was on that cross and the Roman soldiers came and they pierced his side with that spear. It says that water mixed with blood shot out. And literally, I believe, Jesus, his heart exploded. There's a sack around the heart which actually contains a lot of water when it's distressed. It happens to heart attack patients. And I believe that that was punctured and it literally just blew apart. And I believe that Jesus died that God died of a broken heart. But that wasn't the end of the story. Remember, the first half of this psalm was about the suffering of the cross. And we're going to finish off the rest of the suffering, and we're going to jump into a big shift in this psalm. And it's the victory and the triumph of the cross, how Jesus paid it all, and it's over and we who believe in him and trust in him will have everlasting life. That means forever and ever and ever and ever. That means eternity. Where will you be 
Think about that word. Where will you be in eternity? Because eternity is for everyone. Whether you go to hell or you go to heaven with Jesus and the Father, either way, you're living forever. That's what the Bible says. So after verse 6, we see the agony continue on the cross. All those who see me, they ridicule me. They, they shoot out the lip. They shake the head saying, verse 8, He trusted in the Lord. Let him res- rescue him. Let him deliver him since he delights in him. You know, this is, a, this is exactly almost verbatim what these people were saying to Jesus while he was hanging on the cross recorded in the Gospels. Verse 9, But you are he who took me out of the womb. You made me trust while on my mother's breast. He may have been looking at Mary right then and there, his mother, and thinking about how she raised him as a little boy. And then it says that you made, I'm sorry, verse 10, I was cast upon you from birth, from my mother's womb. You have been my God. Be not far from me, for trouble is near, for there is none to help. Remember, everybody ran away from Jesus, and there really was none to help at that point. Now, remember, Jesus was God, and he could have called on myriads of angels, as he said, to come and rescue him if he wanted to, but he chose not to because he loves you and he loves me. And this was a rescue mission. Remember that. And then verse 12, many bulls have surrounded me. Strong bulls of Bashan have encircled me. They gape at me with their mouths like a raging and roaring lion. Now, Raging and roaring lion, isn't Satan called? Remember Peter said Satan goes about like a roaring lion seeking who he may devour. So what he's talking about is something very satanic there. And uh, the bulls of Bashan were these demon idols that were worshipped up in the north country, up in where Syria is today. And they worshipped these bulls of Bashan, and they were really demonic figures. So I believe that C.S. Lewis had it right in that great book he wrote, The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe. If you've seen the movie, you remember that when Aslan, the lion, who's actually portraying a picture of Jesus Christ, when he was on the table dying for Edmund, he was there dying, and not just for him, but for all of them, Remember all of the creatures, they were like bulls and all these demonic creatures that were thinking they were having their day. They thought they were having their victory. And even that evil witch who represented Satan, she thought she had victory as Aslan was being slain. Well, that's the same picture we see here. And this is what happened. Perhaps C.S. Lewis got his idea from Psalm 22. All right, so... Let's move on now. So here we go to verse 14. I am poured out like water, and all my bones are out of joint. My heart is like wax. It has melted within me. Well, crucifixion is 
it's so intense that your bones, because of the way you're hanging on the cross, your bones actually go out of joint, your shoulders, your hips. It, it's a, just an excruciatingly just painful thing. In fact, did you know that that word excruciating actually comes from the crucifixion that's in the middle of that word? It's it's actually a, about this, the pain of the cross when you hear that word excruciating. And that's what was happening here. And he says that he was, remember Jesus said, I thirst. And he said that my, my bones are out of joint. I thirst. And here it says that I am poured out like water. Also, his heart was pierced and water poured out of him. So this psalm has just so many details. It was as if David was standing there and getting these immense details about the whole thing and writing it down. Just amazing stuff. 1,000 years before the birth of Christ. Verse 15. My strength is dried up like a potsherd. A potsherd is a piece of pottery, which is basically as dry as a bone. And my, and my tongue clings to my jaws. You have brought me to the dust of death. For dogs have surrounded me. The congregation of the wicked has encircled me. They pierced my hands and my feet. David wrote this hundreds and hundreds of years before crucifixion was even invented. It was actually the Persians who invented crucifixion, and later the Greeks developed it even further, and then the Romans. But this was not a thing during David's time. Verse 17, I can count all my bones. They look and stare at me. They divide my garments among them. And for my clothing, they cast lots. Remember, John recorded that the soldiers cast lots for Jesus's tunic. That's recorded in Matthew chapter 27, verse 35. Verse 19, but you, O Lord, do not be far from me. Oh, my strength, hasten to help me. So here he's crying. It's a prayer. This whole thing is a prayer. He's talking to God. Verse 20, deliver me from the sword, my precious life from the power of the dog. Save me from the lion's mouth and from the horns of the wild oxen. You have answered me. Now we see a huge shift in this psalm, this prophecy. We see a huge shift, and now we are entering the triumphs, the triumph of the cross, the victory. This is a great victory that's about to happen. So listen to this, starting in verse 22. I will declare your name to my brethren in the midst of of the assemblies, I will praise you. Hebrews, actually, the book of Hebrews, the New Testament book, actually quotes that from Psalm 22, and that's chapter 2, verse 12. And what we see here is, I will declare your name to my brethren. Jesus, remember Jesus said that, that we are actually his brethren and his friends. He's our God, but he's actually calls us, he calls us his brethren too. Isn't that amazing? 
Well, what did he do after his resurrection? I believe that starting here in verse 22 is after the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And here he says, I will declare your name to my brethren. He went to his his disciples, his friends, them whom he considered his brethren, and he declared God's name to them. So here we go. And in verse 23, you who fear the Lord, praise him. All you descendants of Jacob, glorify him and fear him all, all you offspring of Israel. For he has not despised nor abhorred the affliction of the afflicted, nor has he hidden his face from from him. But when he cried to him, he heard. Oh, this is so good. God heard. The Father heard. Verse 25, my praise shall be of you in the great assembly. I will pay my vows before those who fear him. The poor shall eat and be satisfied. Those who seek him will praise the Lord. Let your heart live forever. Isn't this great? Now we're seeing this great shift, the victory, the conquering king who conquered sin and death because he loved us. Isn't that wonderful? Well, we're going to conclude this scene, scene three, this third part of Psalm 22, right here. And and then we're going to get into the rest of it in the next segment. So it's going to be so good. I'm so excited about it. Looking forward to it. Well, God bless you. And I pray that If you don't believe in him, that these scriptures are helping you to start to understand and to see that you need Jesus. And if you do believe in him, I pray that this will strengthen you uh, in your walk with the Lord. All right. Well, God bless you. Can't wait for the next segment.